0: bulletproof radio a state of high performance
1: what if there was a way to level up your energy get rid of stress and take more control of your body welcome to quantum upgrade this is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest is a guy named Joe Polish. And if you haven't heard of Joe Polish, it's probably because you don't do marketing. Joe's one of the most... Uh, sought-after and experienced marketing guys out there. When I say marketing guy, you're probably imagining some, you know, click funnel, like do something online sort of thing. But Joe has helped literally hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs reach hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, uh, including me. He's been a, a friend and advisor for five years, introduced me to Richard Branson and Tony Robbins and John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods, and Ariana Huffington, and, and one of these people you might not have heard of, uh, although Joe runs Piranha Marketing and has been very, very active in the business press. But if you're a biohacker or you're just listening about like what do high-performance people do, Joe is a rare human being, incredibly impactful in the work he's done in the world, and has been incredibly open about his own challenges, going from like a guy with a mullet cleaning carpets which is a true story. Yes, it's relatively and, and true. And his last name is Polish, which is just hilarious because you like actually polished floors. You've never heard that before. But anyway,
2: <laughs> people actually thought I changed my name yeah. for the cleaning niche that I was originally in. But uh, no, I was born with that name. I got made fun of as a kid. But then when I got into the carpet cleaning business, one of my first businesses, I, everyone thought I did it on purpose.
1: So it worked out. Yes. But one day, uh, Joe had uh, sort of just a business awakening, he realized he could hit really help people with marketing and has given away lots of exotic supercars and just had this story that's unbelievable. And I asked him to come on Bulletproof Radio today to talk about his path from uh, basically humble beginnings and uh, really some pretty hairy addiction stories that you just wouldn't believe you're going to hear them, all the way to being an incredible influential person in many, many people's lives and the work he's doing today around addiction. So if you're wondering, how do you go from literally rags well, rags and coke (laughs) to riches, Uh, this is the man who did it and is now living a life of just incredible service to others. So, Joe, welcome to the show.
2: Uh, Thank you, Dave. It's my pleasure to be here, and we've been looking forward to doing this for a long time because it's been a while. And and by the way, I have to excuse my voice for anyone listening right now because I've
1: been running an event all day, so my voice is a little little tired, but uh, I'm super happy to be here. Well, let's talk about this event. Uh, Joe runs an event called Genius Network, or also known as 25K. Yeah, And this is something that entrepreneurs at a certain level of success write a check every year for $25,000 to come to this. And a friend of mine, JJ Virgin, who's been on the show as well, said, Dave, you have to do this. So I'm like, are you nuts? Like, do you know how much money that is? And you know, I, I started Bulletproof. I bootstrapped it and all that. I'm like, this is the single biggest check I've ever written. Uh, but someone I I love and trust said, you got to do this. So I stepped up and I did it and came to this event. And literally, Joe, your work just changed my life. You introduced me to this whole universe of people um, who understood the mission that I was on and were just incredibly willing to help. And and so I'm I'm truly grateful for that. And five years later, I write my check every year with absolute gratitude and. The return on investment on that, which you promised everyone, is look you get ten times return or your money back. And it's actually like that. And I, I don't yeah. know how to put it another way. So thank you for that. But yeah, totally, thank you. How did you get here? Like like, like just give me your background story. You've shared well, it over dinner, but but where were you when you started all
2: this? Well you said something interesting. You said where well, connect you with other people here. And it's interesting because it's funny that a lot of people now. I don't call myself this. A lot of people call me like a connector, like I connect people, and and, and, and I really do. I get a joy out of it, and it's interesting because I grew up one of the most disconnected people ever. Um, I mean, my real quick story, my childhood, my mother died when I was four years old. My mother was a former nun. She had left the convent because she had gotten ill. She met my father in uh, church. They ended up getting married. I was raised Catholic. That instilled a tremendous amount of guilt in me. Uh, You know, without going into all the horror stories, lots of uh, bad stuff happened in my childhood. Uh, Bad stuff related to physical, mental, uh, sexual abuse. I was raped and molested as a kid um, a few times. And I was, you know, just this lonely, shy, scared kid because my father never remarried after my mother uh, passed away when I was four. And so I had an older brother who was four and a half years older than me. And we just, you know, my father was a broken guy. He tried to do the best he could. He was a locksmith, never made a lot of money, but you know, he took care of us as best as he could, but he was very heartbroken. He lost the love of his life. And so every two years, my entire childhood, we would move to a different city. So as soon as, you know, I just started establishing some relationships, we would uproot and go somewhere else. And that happened pretty much my whole childhood. And then, you know, things like my sports is an example. When I was around 10 years old in the small town uh, Alpine, Texas, when all the bad stuff was happening to me sexually, I had a sadistic little league baseball coach who would try to force me to hold the baseball bat straight up. And I was not some smart ass kid. I was just a shy kid. He just singled me out from the best of my memory. And I've very few memories of my childhood. A lot of it was blacked out. I just couldn't play the game. And so that episode ruined my liking of sports. I was never into sports until this day. I mean, I know a lot of professional athletes that are friends, but I've never been a a person that really follows sports. And I also came home one day during around that time. And the only uh, dog I ever had, the only pet I ever had was a black Labrador retriever named Panther. And my father had just given my dog away that I had had for over a year. And I didn't realize until later in life, when I looked back at all of these dysfunctional coping mechanisms that I developed first with drugs. And I'm happy to talk about any of this stuff. And and then, you know, sex addiction and workaholism and obsessiveness and just all of these maladaptive ways of trying to, you know, connect with something. I look back at all of the stuff that happened in, in my childhood and I realize when people are going off the rails and being kind of dysfunctional, you can usually trace it back to the things that happened to them in childhood. And I certainly had those sort of experiences Now, there was a lot of great things too. I mean, I built a multi-million dollar business. I was a millionaire by the time I was 30 and all that sort of stuff. But it was, it was a weird roundabout way. But I grew up lonely and disconnected and introverted. And I used to get picked on all the time. And I was a skinny little kid. And by the time I was, you know, 16 years old, you know, I just didn't really know how to how to relate to people all that well, did the best I could. Um, but I started smoking pot. I started drinking alcohol. I started um, taking LSD. I started taking speed. And what happened is it opened up this whole world. All of a sudden, I went from being this shy, introverted person to being very outgoing. And I started feeling better. So initially, the drugs worked. I mean, they, you know, it's biochemical in a lot of ways. So the dopamine levels, whatever However, my body was responding to doing drugs. It actually worked, but as they say, you know, the the like a coke addict as an example, the you know shortest line is too much, and the longest line is no, is well <laughs> never enough. You know, right. so basically, no matter there was no moderation, and so what what ended up happening is I just got deeply involved in in doing drugs, and so for about two years between the ages of 16, 18 years old, it just escalated and got worse and worse and worse. And in my worst possible state, there was one week where I had not eaten for several days. And on average, I weighed 120 pounds when I was 18 years old. I was doing so much, uh, wow. so many amphetamines. I was snorting crystal meth. I was snorting Coke. And there was a, a period right after high school, when I was 18, that I weighed 105 pounds in my worst day from just uh, doing
1: free basing cocaine for three and a half months straight. So that's that story. Joe. So- I like to look at, at human resilience and ways we can make people more resilient. And with your story, by all rights, you should either be dead or in prison. It, right? Totally. It, absolutely. Right? And instead, you're a multimillionaire and you help a lot of people do a lot of good. And I want to know and, and learn from your experience, what's different about you or what you did that kept you off that path and turned you into the the admirable and fantastic human being you've become? Like, what did that? It's a good question. And I, I wish I could point
2: to like one thing or one episode or one uh, spiritual awakening or something. Uh, Cause people have asked, what was the one thing that did it? You know, it, it was a whole series of things. I mean, the, the human spirit is Resilient. Uh, the the human body is quite resilient. I mean, with all of the work you do in the health field and all of the things that you've learned, and I've learned a tremendous amount from you. mean, we've done forty okay. years of Zen with you. We've done a lot of great stuff. We've gone, you know, on a, an amazing trip in Alaska, which right. we're going to do again. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of cool stuff we've done. Um, but to go back to when I was in my worst physical shape, I, and I'll tell you, I mean, and I'm not saying these stories for just for morbid curiosity. It was just to give a context. Uh, One day, I remember in a single day, I was uh, smoking cigarettes, uh, drinking alcohol, smoking pot, um, uh, snorting um, crystals, snorting cocaine, and freebasing, and I was on LSD. In one day? In a single day. And so, so like, how much abuse could you give a body, right? And I would blow my nose and uh, pieces of flesh would come out, blood, Uh, and one time I had to I rode my, my bike around the block and I was 18 years old and I could not even breathe after riding my bike. I mean, my lungs were so damaged. And looking back, it's like, yeah, I should be dead. I cannot believe uh, you know, that much abuse. What ended up happening was I literally, it got so bad where I looked in the mirror and I looked like a skeleton. And I had one episode where a person that we had as a roommate was flipping out, nearly burned the house down. And I just said i got to get the hell out of this environment or i'm going to die <laughs> so i packed up a, a pickup truck uh, drove to las cruces new mexico and ended up living in a trailer for a couple of years with my father and got sober uh, i removed myself from the friends from the environment from the drugs and i just simply had to change the environment and that gave me enough space to not have access to to drugs but The mental withdrawals, the physical withdrawals, were pretty severe, and I didn't go to a treatment center back then. I didn't even go to twelve-step groups back then. But what happened was, I was taking aspirin or Tylenol almost daily just to try to deal with the headaches and stuff. And eventually, you know, I kind of got through it. Um, And then I got a job at a health club selling gym memberships, and I, for the first time in my life, I started exercising and started working out and started feeling what it felt like to actually get in physical shape. And I worked there and I was very successful. I learned about selling and it that you can persuade people by the words you use and by talking with them and, and leading them into something that I was getting benefit from myself, which gave me my first experience with, with selling. And while I was there, I met a guy that ran a mental hospital and he offered me a job as a um, as a, a mental health tech. So I started working in this uh, mental hospital and I would drive the uh, patients that had addiction challenges uh, to AA meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, NA meetings, which is Narcotics Anonymous. And I would sit in those meetings because I was the driver, but <laughs> never realizing that later in life, that community in those stories and hearing people you know, that were sharing their, their pain um, with others, that that would become so valuable in my life. And so when I ended up moving back to Arizona, which is where I live today and have lived most of my adult life, uh, I never got a degree in anything. I mean, I have to tell this story too. I went to Chandler Gilbert Community College and I got a C minus in principles of marketing and I failed uh, owning and operating a small business. (laughs) So I even show my report card when I speak to people like, what are your education? I'm like, I'm like, uh, you know, Abe Lincoln, I'm self-taught. I mean, I never got a degree in anything, Uh, but I've read over a thousand books and I've gone to a lot of seminars. And so one of the things was I was always super curious about just how do I, Get out of this trap. How do I become more successful? So I was a big reader. Uh, I don't remember anyone in my childhood that was a mentor or a teacher or anyone that had any significant impact. Not saying they weren't there. I just don't recall it. Um, I just literally found my mentors and I found my inspiration in books and I would read and, and eventually I, you know, just started following uh, different people, and you know, some of the same stuff you've done. I mean, Tony Robbins, who's now a dear friend of mine, you know, I was listening to Tony Robbins tapes when I was uh, you know, getting out of that mess, and Wayne Dyer, and reading Think and Grow Rich, and so all of that sort of stuff. But when I came back to Arizona, I ended up starting a small carpet cleaning business because I had a friend who I went to high school with uh, who talked me into taking all the money that I had saved um, <laughs> from all these different jobs. And I spent $1,500, which is all the money I had. And I bought a portable steam cleaning unit. I got some business cards that said professional carpet cleaner. And overnight I was a business owner that didn't know what the hell I was doing. And my friend who started the business with me, uh, he said, you know, what we'll do is we'll, I'll start making phone calls because he was working for a company uh, in Arizona that, uh, the guy was an alcoholic that, that owned the company, but he had grossed $600,000 the previous year and had a phone room where they would call people and, looking back I didn't know anything about how do you run a small service business but they, they were kind of like low price getting people's houses and they would you know hopefully sell them stuff it wasn't full-blown bait and switch because there are a lot of people that advertise you know 595 a room 695 a room and anyone has probably seen those sort of coupons and those people are basically scam artists they just use low prices and then they do high pressure selling and I never did anything like that I just had this friend who's like yeah I'm gonna Make the phone calls. We'll get some jobs, and then once we get established, we can hire you know a few uh, gals to make the phone calls, and then we'll clean the carpets and build up crews. But after about two months of being uh, in business with this guy, every night he was basically getting drunk, and I was, of course, you know, had gotten sober, and so I took his name off the business account, and I was stuck with this uh, chemicals and equipment and this carpet cleaning business, and I didn't really have any options, so. I just started knocking on doors and going to apartment complexes. This is a funny story. So in Arizona, you know how hot it can get here in the summer, right? It's like Hades, it's pretty damn hot. And I'm allergic to cats. And back then I would clean these Dirty apartment units because they are at least the ones that would give me consistent business. And they would pay me twenty, twenty-five, thirty dollars per unit to clean these units, and I would be there ten hours, twelve hours, fourteen-hour wow. days in the middle of summer. Some of these units didn't have any air conditioning because the electricity was off, and so I would run an extension cord to some of these third-story apartments. I'd have to lug this steam cleaning wow. thing in buckets of hot water up the stairs. You know, clean the carpets, and in a cat infested apartment where there's cat urine and all this stuff, I would be literally doing hard manual labor and I would be wheezing. So it was like doing... Your life was basically shit. Oh, it sucked. It totally sucked. But I had this entrepreneurial fantasy that like, damn it, I don't want to work for anyone. I want to make this thing work. And on top of that, I so badly wanted to just figure out how to make a business work that I was paying money to do that work. I mean, there's many ways to go broke, but uh, doing hard manual labor, cleaning carpets, and and going into debt on credit cards is one of the stupidest ways to go broke, but that's what I was doing. I I wasn't intelligent enough to say I could probably just sit at home and watch TV and go broke. I didn't have to do hard manual labor. (laughs) But I I amassed about $30,000 in debt over a couple year period, and I was just frustrated. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I can keep telling you my story, but I want to take a break just to make sure. you.
1: It sounds like twice in your life, like once when you're about 18, you sort of hit rock bottom from yeah. just a, a health and, a, and an addiction perspective. And you climbed out of rock bottom. And then from a business perspective, you hit rock bottom and you climbed out of it. And this is a common pattern, though. You, you see this over and over where, where people lose money in businesses or they, they have addictions and, and it sort of sticks with them yeah but I've known you for five years now and you you live a, an unusual life and that you you're always meeting amazing people and helping them and and you just you sort of just walk around and everyone's like do you know what what Joe did for me you got from hard physical failure and hard business failure and something happened you, you read these thousand books and all that stuff but what what was the the spark that made you go you know i'm I'm gonna not just become a little bit successful but just like abundance opened up for me.
2: Yeah. Well, I've, I've always been interested in massive significance and I don't like things that are mundane and, and mediocre and there's a lot of pain and suffering in the world and I certainly have had those plenty of experiences and I am driven to, and I say driven hopefully in a good way because people can be very driven in a very destructive yeah. way. And a lot of my uh, upbringing, my drivenness actually led into driving into walls, driving off cliffs and, and, and being very self-destructive to myself. Uh, but I have this deep internal thing to where I want to reduce human suffering. And so it first had to start with me. I want to connect people, but it first had to start with me. And so one of the big distinctions, which, you know, kind of where I was at in my carpet cleaning business, when I was in the worst possible state, I was frustrated. I had a guy call me, a friend from high school, and he said, would you like to go jet skiing? And when you're totally broke, you, you don't have any discretionary income. You don't have any money to do stuff. And he said you know, uh, would you like to go jet skiing? I'm like, no, nah, I got a lot of work to do. I didn't want to admit that I can barely even pay for anything to eat. And he said that the guy that owns the jet skis is a multimillion dollar real estate investor. And that of course piqued my interest. I'm like, oh, maybe I could go and meet this guy and talk with him and he could give me some advice on what sort of business I could go into in order to get out of this damn carpet cleaning business <laughs> that clearly wasn't working. And so uh, we went to Seguro Lake, which is a lake out here in Arizona. And there were two jet skis. Uh, there was my friend Pat, and then this um, guy that had the that, that was the wealthy real estate investor had two jet skis, and one of his friends was with him. And so my friend Pat and this guy's other friend were on the jet skis, and I finally had a chance to sit down with this. Wealthy guy in the tailgate of a pickup truck, and I said to him, "You know, so I hear you do really well in business, and I have this small carpet cleaning business, and it's not doing that well. And if I was wondering if you have any recommendations of another business that I could go into, so I could, um, you know, maybe do better." So he asked for help. Yeah, yeah. So well, and so what he said, he goes, "Well, is there anyone in your business that's uh, making money?" I go, "Well, yeah, there's several companies in the Phoenix area that do over a million a year. That's a lot of money to me, uh, but they've been around a long time. They're established." I've only been doing this for a couple of years. Um, you know, I'm a good good at cleaning carpets, but for some reason, they just you know they're established. And and he said, well, if there's other people in your business that are making money and you're not, there's nothing wrong with the business you're in. There's something wrong with you. And I said, well, no, no. I mean, these people they have a lot of staff. You know, a lot of them do bait and switch advertising. I don't do any of that sort of stuff. I'm trained. I'm certified. It's just that you know I was making excuses because when you're a hard worker and you're you actually care and it's, you're still not successful, it really messes with your head, because there's a lot of really good people that put forth the effort, and they don't get results, and they're like, what the hell is going on?
1: You ever see the monkey video with the banana versus the, the or the grape versus the cucumber? I wish I could say I have, but I'm ah, not. All right. This is what was happening to you, and, and you can Google this thing. We'll Google it afterwards. We'll put a link <laughs> in the show notes. But it's some psychologists. And they have two monkeys in cages where they can see each other. Mm-hmm. And they're trained to like reach out and like grab a rock and put it in a bowl. You put a rock in a bowl, you get a treat. So the mm-hmm. first cucumber, or first monkey gets a cucumber as a treat, and he's perfectly happy. The monkey next to him does the same task and gets a grape, which is sweet and good. And the first monkey's like, you see this look of like like what he, he got more? Like we both worked hard. Right. And then they go back to the first monkey and he puts the thing in a rock again. And he reaches out his hands, and they give him a cucumber, and he looks at the cucumber and throws it at the researcher. And it just, like, goes nuts and tries to break out of the cage. It just goes into this rage because he didn't get a grape because he worked just as hard as the guy next to him. Wow. And like, it really, it yeah. pushes our primal things, right? Totally. And that's what's going on with you. Yeah. So, so the lesson here, that, and now this was, I didn't know this yet, but this was
2: going to become the most important mentor at that time in my life as it related to a direction that I was going to take. So here I was dead broke carpet cleaner talking with this guy on, you know, trying to get some advice. And he says, you know, young man, you're like most people. You think the grass is always greener on the other side. And what's going to happen if you try to go into another business, another industry, you're going to spend another six months, another year, another two years learning the technical skills of another business. So you can go out and repeat the same bad business habits that have caused you to be a failure in this business.
1: Wow. That was some powerful advice.
2: Totally. And I was like, well, at first I was like, well, shit, that's not the motivational message that I want. (laughs) But he he what what he helped me identify was there's other people that are successful. They're doing well. I'm not, there's something they're doing that I'm not doing. So what the hell is that? So when I left that trip, I was super sunburned and I was driving home and I was thinking to myself, I live in America. I think it's a great country. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I have tons of personal problems. You know, I have my own, you know, issues and stuff. However, you know, I've got my limbs, I've got my vision, I've got my hearing, I'm a hard worker someone knows what the hell to do. So that started me on my venture of saying, I'm going to figure this out. And here's what I did though. I made a commitment that I don't like the business, I'm not doing well, but other people are having success in it and I'm not, I'm going to figure out how to make it work. So all of a sudden I reframed the business and the failure is like, this needs to be a canvas. I need to use this as a lab rat. This needs to now become an experiment. I'm going to figure out how to make this thing work. And I made a commitment to myself that I'm not getting out of this business until I figure out how to turn this business around. and Because what he said to me, he goes, if you learn fundamental business skills, you can then go into any business and you can apply that. And so I was like, I gotta use this carpet cleaning business as a place to test things out. And now what's funny is I happen to, you know, get into a business selling something nobody wants to buy. I mean, there's not anyone that's listening or watching to uh, this that has any, you know, excitement about calling a carpet cleaner. It's kind of like going to the, you know, if you live in America, the Department of Motor Vehicles and get a license renewal. I mean, it just sucks. Uh, and so people don't love cleaning carpets like they like going to a comedy club or going to a right. movie or buying clothes. So, but here I was with this this accidental industry that I was in. And so what happened was I just started reading. I started studying. And I had a friend that gave me a newsletter written by this crazy marketer named Gary Halbert. And it was called The Gary Halbert Letter, and I ended up reading this newsletter. And there was something that was said in the very first issue that I read, which is the February 1992 issue of The Gary Halbert Letter. It said that uh, smart people would rather pay $1,000 for 10 pages of really valuable information than $10 for 300 pages of fluff. And so you don't measure the value of information by, uh, you know, quantity, but by the quality of the information. And it said that it made a distinction of what marketing is, that you need to can and clone yourself. And that whole term, can and clone yourself, I learned what marketing actually is versus selling, because selling is what you do when you're on the phone or face-to-face with somebody, and marketing is what you do to get yourself on the phone or face-to-face with somebody properly positioned so by the time you they talk to you, they're pre-interested, pre-motivated, pre-qualified, and predisposed to do business with you. And all of the advertising or marketing that I was doing, because I didn't even know what marketing was. If someone would have said that term, does that mean a logo? Does that mean a brand? I mean, what, what the hell does it mean, advertisements? I mean, what does it actually mean? And again, this was before the internet even existed. So we're talking the way people got business back then were yellow page ads, Valpak type coupons, magazine advertisements, sometimes TV, sometimes radio, uh, newspaper ads. You know, you're talking about a small service business. And so I didn't even know how to create an offer. And what most people were doing was they were advertising price and and what most industries do is everyone copies what everyone else is doing and they're all kind of doing the same dumb things and so back then I didn't quite know what to do and but when I read that term can and clone yourself I started studying and reading all of the books that Gary would recommend like scientific advertising by Claude Hopkins the Robert call your letter book uh you know how to write a good advertisement by Vic Swab uh Ogilvy on advertising by Dave Ogilvy and so I started reading all of these books about making offers, and I hired a copywriter with money that I had to borrow on a credit card. I paid a copywriter $1,800 to write my very first sales letter for my carpet cleaning business, uh, which was, you know, a consumer guide to carpet cleaning, and everyone was running name rank, serial number ads, who they are, what they do, and their phone number. Today it's kind of what they do, you know, in their website or their social media or, or whatever. Same stuff that most businesses still don't know how to create right. advertising. And so I created this education-based marketing guide and I started running, um, you know, ads that said, um, you know, warning, don't call any carpet cleaner to you, you know, read this consumer guide. And I would have people call and request a consumer guide or if people called me up on the phone and say, how much do you charge? That question, when someone asks how much you charge, they don't have any other criteria on how to make a buying decision. And so if you don't have a system for selling what it is you're selling, you're at the mercy of the consumer system for for buying, which is always price unless you give them another criteria. So I created, I'll just rattle through this real quick and then I'll then share how that led to what I do today. So basically um, I created consumer's guide to carpet cleaning, read this guide and discover seven questions, ask a carpet cleaner before you invite them into your home. Uh, eight mistakes to avoid when choosing a carpet cleaner, crawling critters and crud, a guide to the slime, grime, and livestock that's seeping, creeping and galloping through your carpet, uh, how to avoid four carpet cleaning ripoffs, the difference between value and price, how to get your carpet cleaner to hundred percent guarantee their work, all this stuff. And then they would open up this little guide. And unlike every other form of advertisement, which looks like we're trying to sell you something, a fancy brochure, this was inexpensive. It was you know paper and ink, but the thing is is paper's expensive, ink's cheap. So the message that you put on it, like a dollar bill, what's the difference between a $1 bill and a $100 bill? The message on the paper, same paper, same ink. Why is one worth a hundred times more than the other? It's because of the words. It's because of how you position it. And so I started learning that you could influence you know, the effectiveness of something just by the copy just by the words, just by the offer. And so they would open up the guide and it says, dear homeowner, choosing a carpet cleaner isn't easy. Why? Because you're bombarded with confusing claims, simply bad information, near worthless methods, unqualified technicians. How do you ever find a qualified competent carpet cleaner? You start by reading this guide. And then it said, now with this information, you can make an informed, intelligent decision. And that's key because people don't want to make an idiotic, uninformed decision. They want to make an informed, intelligent decision. And so I answered the number one question in all consumers' minds, which is, who can I trust? And so I gave them all of the information and so, Money earned ethically is a byproduct of value creation and you actually can create value before anyone even does business with you by teaching them how to make a buying decision. So what I learned when you're selling something that nobody wants to buy, what you do is you help them learn and know all the things that they don't know that they don't know. And so once somebody read my consumer awareness guide, they didn't call me up and say how much you charge, they would call up and say, when can you do the job? But people would call up and say, well, you know, I need my carpet clean tomorrow. You know, if they were, and I'm like, so what I then did is I paid the copywriter another $250, and I had him turn my consumer awareness guide into a 24-hour free recorded message script. And then I did a 10-minute recorded message, and I would run the ads that said, warning, don't call any carpet cleaner until you listen to this free recorded message, call anytime, 24 hours a day. And so they would call and listen to a robot. It would sift, sort, and screen price shoppers. It was totally robotic. It was automated. It always delivered a perfect pitch. It never bitched about a headache. It would always show up to work on time. It was automated. And I call that today elf marketing. So you can have an elf business, which is easy, lucrative, and fun. Or you can have what I used to have before I learned all this stuff. I have a half business, which is hard and annoying, lame, and frustrating. Or hard, annoying, lucrative, and frustrating. Which is the subject of my new book that's going to be coming out soon, which is called The Average Joe's marketing book, very clever. But anyway, um, I literally created this system and then I went from $2,100 a month on average losing money, gross, I was grossing 2100 a month, it, it cost me more money to be in business to over $12,300 a month within a oh, six, right. month period, okay. six month period, six month uh, period. And I didn't learn any much more about how to clean carpets, although I was certified and I was trained and I did a good job. I learned there's no relationship between being good and getting paid. Now let me explain that in the right context because a lot of people are like, well, that doesn't make sense. Some people are really good and they get paid because they're in a certain type of supply and demand situation, Uh, but there's a great relationship between being good, being a good marketer and getting paid. And what I mean by marketing is you got to get your message out. You have to tell your story. You have to be compelling. You cannot bore people into buying. And so I created this way of, of using education-based marketing and I turned my small carpet cleaning business around and then I decided, wow, you know, how many other people like me that are struggling, that don't know how to do this, if I could just teach them what I've learned here, they would apply it in their business. And so I started running ads in carpet cleaning trade magazines. I ran my first ad in a magazine called Clean Facts Magazine uh, at the end of uh, 1994. I ended up um, running this ad, and I in, in the in the ad said how to get a flood of new customers. You know, my name is Joe Polish. I've learned this method of you know how to generate business, and the big money is not in carpet cleaning; it's in the marketing of carpet cleaning services. And that discovery changed my life. Call this free recorded message to request the free report. And so I, people would call, and they would request a free report, but the free report would tell my story. It was like a 12 page to 26 page a sales letter because I had different versions of this very long copy and I would send it and I I, I ended up generating leads off a $138 regional ad in, a, in this trade magazine and I ended up generating leads, sending these people a free report and the free report, the first time I did it generated uh, $7,000 in sales because I offered a $497 course and a $597 course and I was pretty much off to the races. So it took you what another year or two to become a millionaire? Well, the first year I sold $250,000 worth of these marketing courses uh, when I was 26 years old. Uh, and the beauty was, is the materials worked. I mean, I... I'm, you added a real value. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I transformed right. people's businesses. And I mean, they were applying it and I was changing people's lives. And I, I literally ended up, uh, over 1,200 carpet cleaning companies uh, purchased my materials within the first couple of years. Uh, the, you know, the second year, I sold half a million dollars worth of courses. The third year, I was doing over a million a year. And so, I, uh, yeah, I became a, uh, a millionaire by the time I was 30. How did you avoid taking all that money and going back to hookers and blow? Well, here's, here's the deal. So during this period of time, I... Uh, had never dealt with a lot of childhood trauma. And when you are sexually abused, you have an arousal template. And so what someone is into sexually is usually based on how they were first introduced to sexuality. And uh, I I had in in sexual addiction. By the way, is an intimacy disorder. When people hear it, they can conjure up all kinds of perceptions of what does that mean? Because all forms of addiction include suffering. All forms of addiction are disconnection. Uh, All forms of addiction include binging and purging. It's not about moderation. It's either deprivation or it's excess. And so, one of the forms of 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 addiction, uh, sexual addiction, was being sexually anorexic, not having the ability to be intimate with, uh, with someone or be intimate with someone that matters. Because if, if you look at, um, men or women that were abused, uh, as, as children, they will usually develop relationships with abusive partners. Right. And it's a trauma bond. And so, uh, luckily for me, I don't ever recall ever being abusive to anyone physically or mentally. I'm sure like, you know, I was an asshole in a lot of ways and, 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 and unaware in a lot of situations. But I mean, here in my life, I mean, every uh, girlfriend, every partner I've had for the last 18 years, other than one of them, I'm still friends with all of them. I and so, and A lot of them are friends with each other. You've even witnessed. Yeah, that.
1: I've, I've met a couple yeah. of them and yeah, they, they say nothing but good things about you.
2: Yeah. 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 And then so I, I, I've, I've really done my best to try to be just a kind human um but to to what happened is i ended up getting in a very toxic relationship during this this time with a with a woman that we should have separated after the first year but we stayed together for about 6 years and and this is a a long story but i'm going to give you the real quick readers digest version is if 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 there's younger people, they probably don't even know what Reader's Digest means. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, basically, uh, we ended up having a child together, and uh, at a time when I was actually going to separate from her, and I ended up um, you know staying with her because of this. Uh, and what what ended up happening was uh, we did not get along at all. We ended up having this child together, and every moment with her was just. Not, it was miserable, but I love this child. And in the process of raising this child, we just, it was intolerable to be together. But you know, I I love this baby 20 times more than any woman I'd ever been with. And you know, we ended up separating and I was, you know, got her a new apartment and leased her a car and I was taking care of her and the child trying to figure out, you know, how do I navigate this? And so this is part of my life where I'm helping business owners, I'm having success. But my personal life is just kind of in shambles. It's just real difficult. And what I found about a lot of successful entrepreneurs is they could have a lot of these secret lives where no one really knows all the shit storms that are going on. And so what ended up happening was um, she wanted to move out of state and, uh, and, and not realizing that I'm supporting you and I'm you know the father here. And what ended up happening was I joined a father's rights group because I wanted to see what I need to do in order to prevent her from uh, moving out of state. And they recommended that, you know, I read a lot of materials to prepare myself if we have to go into a, you know, a, a legal custody issue because I, you know, they're like, what do you want to do? I said, well, I just want to, you know, both of us, I feel she raise this child. And in the process of, uh, you know, going down this, this road, they said, well, you know, read all these materials, take this, take a DNA test because it'll help you if you ever go to court. And I'm like, oh, I don't need to do that. But they're like, no, it'll it'll actually help you. So I ended up uh, taking the DNA test. And again, uh, I'm I'm so hesitant to not tell more because it kind of fills in the blanks. But I ended up finding out five days before this child's first birthday through a DNA test uh, that I didn't even only took because I thought it would help with custody. I never questioned that I was not the father. I found out I was not the biological father. And it was the most pain mentally that I had ever uh you know, ever felt. I mean, you know, both my parents passed away and I've had lots of friends die and stuff, nothing uh, compares to how that loss, I feel like I lost, you know, I did, I actually lost a child that I cared for. I offered to adopt this child because at that point I was uh, bonded with with this child,
1: but, uh, you know, you had no rights?
2: Then. Yeah. I mean, I even offered her a hundred grand if she would like sign away rights and let me raise the child. And she wanted the money, but she didn't want to be without the child and there's nothing I can do. And so what happened is the only thing that made the pain go away uh, was to sleep with a lot of women. I started uh, paying for sex, uh, hiring escorts, and uh, you know, it was, it was pretty painful. And so <laughs> I, I didn't go back into the drugs. Uh, but I certainly went into the core addiction which actually stemmed from the trauma as a, as a child and that's what people's addictions and crazy making behaviors usually goes to
1: where the biggest source of pain was in one of the reasons that I wanted to to ask you about these things is that I mean, you're a multi multi millionaire and you have incredible influence and you know the ability to, to you know pick up your phone and and call god knows how many billionaires and captains of industry and all and you're willing to stand up in front of these guys and talk about really uncomfortable, shitty situations you live through and, and just own it and be like, this is the person I am today. Yeah. And one of the things that that taught me, and having, having come to know some small percentage of the number of these people that you know, um, is that most people have a lot of crap in their background that they don't want to talk about right. and things that they're ashamed of, and, and it causes them pain, even though they're externally successful or successful in one domain not another domain and uh, i think that that by just being one say hey, i'm i'm a really successful guy and i live through all this stuff and i'm still dealing with it in this way today that you've actually made it safe for a lot of other successful people to get help or to talk about gee, maybe i really do have an addiction to my business or an addiction to something that maybe they didn't see was an addiction yeah and now you've made this your your moonshot based on like the kind of Dan Sullivan Peter Diamandis kind of thinking um, both of whom have been guests on the show, and both of whom uh, you introduced me to. And um, y- you're now focused very heavily on addiction and what you can do to rid the world of addiction. Talk with me about how that became your mission and what you're doing about it. Yeah, and and thank you, by the way. And and
2: so yes, my my moonshot is to change the global conversation about how people view and treat addicts with compassion instead of judgment and to find the best forms of treatment that have efficacy and share those with the world. And also let me say this. I'm not a dummy. I know how to do sales pitches. I I, I could use this oh, yeah. platform and say, hey, I'm this great guy. I know all this marketing stuff. You should opt into my list. You can buy things. I can teach you how to make a lot of money. And I can do all that. I know all that. But I know you. And I know that you care a lot about this, because we've had private conversations yeah. about this. And I've heard the things on uh you know bulletproof. Uh, sh- your show and about how you've you've brought up addiction and how you've brought up challenges and how you've talked about stuff and you've always been super acknowledging of me and the people that have introduced here and so my whole thing is i'm thinking of like whoever's out there fighting a silent battle whoever's in pain whoever's a real because you have a lot of very successful people that listen to you and that follow you and a lot of these people have these secrets that they don't share and so you're yeah. you're as sick as your secrets and so I wanted to take this time to actually not talk about how cool you know someone may think i and all the famous people that I know and I have plenty of that sort of stuff and I do run the highest level marketing group in the world and all that, it's great. But the bottom line is like, I had to go through a shitstorm of stuff for a lot. Yeah. yeah, and and so I want to you know the opposite of addiction is connection. And so I ended up building the biggest connection group <laughs> uh because I was so disconnected as as a kid and I think once I learned marketing I looked at this issue which I think addiction is the modern form of human slavery and how do I use my marketing skills, my storytelling skills, my connection skills and how do I become a curator and bring some of the greatest minds, some of the greatest thinking and try to solve this issue, which right now we're treating addiction, uh, punitively. The criminal justice system in America is treating addicts when it needs to be a more compassionate industry. It's evil what they're doing. Yeah. And, and I mean, we're going to probably look back in this and see like, wow, we used to throw people in cages because they were traumatized because, you know, you got like in America, there's 2.3 million people that are in uh, prison, 0.91% of the U S population. There's another 4 million, 4.5 to 4,750,000 people that are on parole or probation. I mean, depending on different towns, different cities, you can walk around and statistically, three to five people are freaking criminals. And 80 to 90% of people that are arrested or thrown in jail, uh, alcohol or drugs were involved. That's not including behavioral issues like the Internet or porn or sex or gambling or gaming or food or workaholism, which is the respectable addiction. So a lot of these people that are, you know, they're, they're obsessive. There's compulsivity. And a lot of these people are really functional. I was very functional when I was an addict. So the key is, man, if you can actually build businesses and do cool stuff while you're going through all these struggles, imagine how much more effective you would be if you could deal with with this this sort of pain so
1: so you you've really led the, just that incredible life when you decided to stand on stage in front of uh, you know a room full of people who write you know large checks to you and a lot of, a lot of these people are also big donors and uh, people running companies with you know tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue in the room and just stand up and be like oh by the way I I didn't really tell you guys about like this these dark chapters of my life. Yeah, what thought process did you go through before you first were like I'm gonna sort of just I don't know, come out of the closet might be the wrong word, but you know, I'm going to just basically expose this part of my background uh, to all these people. Like, like were you worried? Yeah, you know, I was incredibly worried because there's a lot of shame attached to it. A lot of these things open
2: me up to be uh, picked apart and say in ridiculed. And certainly, the more I do this, I'm sure that can happen and will happen and people are going to misinterpret stuff. And I'm willing to use my platform and, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people have downloaded my podcasts and stuff. And, you know, I'm Richard Branson's largest fundraiser. I have a lot of access to people and most people in in these positions, they don't talk about this sort of stuff. And that's the exact reason I wanted to start talking about it because that which is most private or at least feels most private is actually most public. And, and I have some unique perspectives on stuff because in the early 2000s when my life was a train wreck after that situation where I raised that child, I then turned my company over to a woman to run it who you know, was a a Jehovah witness and she looked me in the eye and said she loved me. She was a client that, you know, had turned her business around and she actually said, oh, I can help you with your company. You know, I've got a team of people that can help you. You've been so helpful to me. I turned my company over to this person. About nine months into her running my company, I'm looking at financials and and they don't make any sense. And I realized that I found out that she's embezzling money Uh from me by writing checks to fake vendors she had set up. So I had to take my company back, nearly destroyed my company um, that was barely Holding on by a thread anyway, because I was barely holding on. And then, you know, I I just, then I got into another just really toxic relationship, and I finally was like, what the hell is going on in my life? I'm like out of control. And so I joined a high profile group, and uh, with people that were so famous, they could not easily go to 12-step meetings and not, not get outed. And so I was in rooms with famous NFL players, NBA players, Academy Award winning actors and actresses, famous musicians, famous politicians. And I got to see in my 30s, people that were world famous, some of them literally running billion dollar companies Everyone in the world would know some of these people. And when I say everyone in the world, maybe not in like, you know, third world countries and stuff, but some of these people had global fame. Wow. And, uh, and, and I saw how broken they were. And I realized that, wow, you know, the world can admire someone and not have any clue just how hard and how difficult. And so I, you know, I started just doing a lot of work. I started going to a lot of meetings. Now I still kept running my business. I joined Strategic Coach with Dan Sullivan, who's now one of my best friends. But I kept, I just kept at it. So when people are like, you know, how'd you do it? I just never gave up. You know, you see uh, a crack in the asphalt outside and you'll see a little weed or a little flower trying to grow through the human spirit wants to grow, it doesn't want to give up. And there's not a single addict out there, people like, well, they're destroying their life, they want to do that. No, first off, Mm -hmm. no one wants to destroy their life. No one wants self-sabotaging behavior. No one wants to be lonely. No one wants to be riddled with depression and anxieties. These are all part of the human condition and I'm, I'm incredibly sensitive to that and I know what it's like to really want to do the right thing, do your best to do it, and fail and fall in holes. You know, fortunately, I just happened to learn some skill sets that allowed me to actually make, you know, some have some financial success. And and I love money. I mean, people that say money can't buy happiness, you know, haven't given enough of it away uh, <laughs> to, to people that actually, you know, appreciate it and that you really you know care with uh, you, you know, I, I buy happiness all the time with money so the making of money is a really valuable thing if you like eating nice dinners if you like going to movies if you like going on vacations yeah. money gives you that access but money could also be a success trap you know because you give money to a person who hasn't um, basically discovered who they are uh, you can you can afford devices that some people cannot. So I've seen people that literally have not dealt with underlying traumas because I believe that addiction is a response to trauma. And if you don't address that sort of thing. So how does that all do with Genius Network and all the stuff I do today? Well, I believe that any problem in the world can be solved with the right genius network. So I started a really high, high profile group uh of of business entrepreneurs. That's the, the group that you're in, you know, Genius Network mm-hmm. and some very successful people. And what I realize is that, you know, if I just connect other tribal leaders with each other. If I create a tribe of tribal leaders, people that have unique abilities and capabilities and create these discussions about business where they can all get better and they could all make more money. But my trick is I sell people what they want. I give them what they need. They all want to have more clients. They all want to have Mm -hmm. a better business. But what I want to do is help any entrepreneur that's fucked up to unfuck themselves. Uh, not because I'm the guru. I mean, you know, I don't want to be a sage on the stage. I want to be a guide on the side. I just want to be a curator. I just want to bring incredible people together and I want to really reinforce be a giver because life gives to the giver and takes from the taker. And as you know, in my groups the best i just try to be very open very vulnerable because i want people to feel safe i mean i taught i said this earlier one of my favorite definitions of intimacy is intimacy which was taught to me by a guy that i never met but he spends his life he's in his 70s just helping people to have sexual addictions men and women and he said uh intimacy is a mutual exploration of a shared safe place. Abuse is anything that takes away the safe place and addictions are what we do to make ourselves feel good when we don't have a safe place. So I never felt safe in the world for the longest time. And the issues are in the tissues. And once I started meditating and once I started doing float pods and once I started learning how to breathe and doing yoga, and really getting into my body doing somatic experiences even experience uh, you know doing experiences uh, out of the country with ayahuasca and ibogaine you know I'm the first person in the world to have before and after brain scans of doing
1: ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT, which, you know, people can look that stuff up if they don't know We've what it is. talked about it on the show with, uh, with Rick Doblin uh, yes. from MAPS and with Tim Ferriss and all. Yeah. yeah.
2: Who's doing great. You know, Rick Doblin's doing great work with MAPS and everything. So, yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of trauma work, but what I've realized is like, wow, I used to be really scared all the time. I
1: never felt safe in the world. Did you know you were scared when you were scared or was uh, it just like your, your condition?
2: I I learned to ignore it to a degree or try, but what, what what I did for the longest time is I always felt like there was a dark cloud following me around. I was always in a hurry to get somewhere. And as soon as I was there, I was in a hurry to be somewhere else. I couldn't sit still in my own skin. So the devil makes work for idle hands as the cliche goes. And I just always kept busy because I was trying to outrun the dark cloud that was about to come over me and just start Raining shit on my life again. And I spent a lot of time doing that. So I would go to 12 step meetings. I would go to therapy. I would do, I've spent over $2 million on my own business and personal education. I mean, I've done a lot of therapy. Um, you know, and, and, and and just doing enough of it finally paid off. But here's what I'll tell you. People out there, well, I don't have money. I'm struggling. What, you know, most of the best stuff I've ever had cost nothing. Walking into a 12-step meeting. If you don't have any money, you can go to those meetings. It's people that, you know, they're there for to share experience, strength, and hope. And there's all kinds of resources, you know, doing a yoga class, exercising, sometimes a, just you know, a gym membership could be more valuable than a therapist. You know, so getting into your body, doing the things. And I mean, look, you're on the cutting edge of 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 discovery. I mean, you know, forty years of Zen that you, you know, that you do. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that with food. I mean, just you know, yeah. food is an example. I mean, it's biochemical. I mean, your, your dopamine, your serotonin, your hormones. I mean, just learning how to that totally changes your life. So there's four areas to really address, to treat uh, addiction. One is community. Nobody uh, recovers in isolation. So you need some sort of community, 12 steps. And if you're an anti-12 step person, uh, you know, there's plenty of communities. I actually have a site called GeniusRecovery.com, which lists Every type of community, 12 cool. steps and others and videos and, and podcast links. And we don't currently, we're not even selling anything on the site. It's just purely just to information. Help. Help. Yeah. And so so the first is community. The second is it's it's biochemical. It's food, it's nutrition, it's exercise, which they can learn all of that from you reading your books, listening to, a you know, different podcasts and stuff. Um The third is is uh, trauma work. The issues are in the tissues, so that's where EMDR and meditation and breathing. I mean, you take uh, tobacco, you know, the number one killer uh, of people in the United States, the gateway drug is sugar. So more people die of things related to sugar and then second would be tobacco, third would be alcohol, and then fourth would be opiates currently. Uh, and so uh, smokers is an example. When someone says you should quit smoking, well, to a smoker who that's sometimes the only breathing that they really, the deep breathing <laughs> they do, it's meditative. It actually is survival yeah. to them. So just learning how to breathe. Most addicts, they're very shallow breathers. So doing, you know, somatic work, plant medicines can come and play. And then the fourth is the
1: environment, you know, the rat park studies, which I'm sure you've talked about on, on your An show. enriched environment that makes you not an addict because you have something interesting. Exactly. So those four areas,
2: and so I just started doing that in my life. I started applying that and all of a sudden, I started feeling better. And I told this story about when I hired a yoga instructor, she said to me, uh, I was going through grief from a breakup, and this was in, you know, it was a few years ago. And she said, if you do yoga three times a week, it'll change your body. If you do it every day, it'll change your life. And I thought to myself, I wonder what would happen if I did yoga every single day. I mean, I've done yoga, but I don't even do it every day. And I'm a busy guy. I travel like crazy, but I made a commitment. I'm going to do yoga. Every not not a 10 minute YouTube video yoga. I'm going to do a real class with an instructor. I'm going to privately or go to go to a place. So for 31 days, I did yoga every single day, and then I took a break for like a day or two, and then I kept doing it. And over a 90 day period, I went. I did 82 or 83 sessions of yoga, and it completely changed the way I felt my in my body, but in my mind, and I. Actually, just increased a little bit the space between reacting to life and responding to life. And most people, especially if they're in an addictive state or self-destructive state, they're not responding to life; they're reacting to life. And as you know, if they're not getting good nutrition, if they're 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 constantly in snap mode; they're they're yeah. stressed. And so, what are the things? And and when I talk about it in a business analogy, I say you're the million dollar racehorse. Everyone listening to this, wherever you're at in your life. Think of yourself as a million dollar racehorse. And if the million dollar racehorse was designed to win races because when you win the race you win a million bucks, how would you treat that horse? You wouldn't shovel fast food down its throat. You wouldn't, you know, smoke cig- you wouldn't have the horse smoke cigarettes. You wouldn't have the horse get lack of sleep. You would g- give it the best training, the best food, the best nutrition. You would take care of that horse because if that horse is taken care of, that horse is going to win races. And you know what? I just started taking better care of myself. I learned how to meditate. I learned how to do some things that I wasn't doing. And more importantly, I unlearned a bunch of shit because unlearning is more important than learning. And I, you know, and I now share all this stuff with all these entrepreneurs and all these successful people. And I've built this incredible business around it because people, they want authenticity. People want safety. They want to feel like they're connected. And I, so now I just want to try to connect people and that's what I do.
1: Joe, if someone came to you tomorrow, whether or not they have a trauma or, or an addiction, but just a, a person said, Joe, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being. What are the three most important pieces of advice you'd have for them?
2: Well, I would ask, and this would apply differently to different people. So I would say, what needs solved? What is your biggest problem? And how do you solve one problem that solves a hundred other problems? So for instance, if someone's problem is they can't sleep well, I would say you need to solve the sleeping issue. When it comes to reading books, when it comes to anything, ask yourself the question, what needs solved? And so depending on that, for one, if they're not doing any sort of fitness or exercise, like food allows you to cope, uh, sleep allows you to cope. uh, There's this this proverb that he who has their health has a thousand dreams. He or she who does not have their health has only one. So the reason anyone has ambitions or goals or desires to get better is they're not laid up in a hospital bed. They're not, you know, chronically broken. So if you are in a state where you actually can, you know, dream and have ambitions, and you're not in chronic pain, you're not in a hospital, then you actually have to sit and think, okay, well, you know, what am I doing to facilitate my health? So I would certainly have them uh, focus on exercise and health first, and I would make sure they're not fatigued. So that's the first thing. Um, secondly, I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs. I want to be a hero to entrepreneurs and people that have uh, addictions. And so as our friend Dan Sullivan says, entrepreneurs that are too tightly scheduled cannot transform. So I would find whatever you need to do in your life that will give you space. I tell this to, because most of my world is successful people that are very busy. Those are at least the ones that pay me money. And I've said this a lot of times, do yoga every day for a month, go and get a massage every day. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but have you ever, like, Yeah, it, it matters. you know, it, it, some most people, you know, that are successful, you know, you can spend $60, $100 on a massage, you know, you can spend more if you want. And you do that every single day. And they're like, well, you know, that could be a lot of money I can spend. You know, three thousand to six thousand dollars if you're going to go to expensive hotels and get massages. But you know what you're going to do with that time while you're you're, you're 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 taking your body down. So I would do an enormous amount of self care, and I would cut all ties with dishonest, negative, and lazy people. Only align yourself with people that are aligned with you. You know, don't ha- your environment matters. And like your 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 phone is an example. So people are like, get off your phone, but they don't realize that. When you tell like a young person or a person to get off their phone, we have become so integrated. It's no longer a phone. We have outsourced our brain. It's where we drive. I mean, most people can't drive anywhere unless, you know, that they've never been to before without looking at, you know, an electronic uh, GPS that's going to take them there or finding restaurants by looking at, you know, Yelp or someplace to find. I mean, we've, we, we communicate and so much of our life is integrated into you know our technology so people really need to have space and so i would encourage people to read like a book like deep deep work by cal newport and literally you know do what you need to do electronically but don't tie your life into it because marketing today is algorithms and marketing today is all of these these technology companies that employ attention engineers and they're trying to suck up every bit of attention they can so i would give yourself space i mean and all this is basic stuff go in nature exercise, eat well, get yourself sunshine, get yourself proper sleep, and probably apply all the biohacking stuff. And and here's what I would say, most people, uh, because I know we have to wrap up here. uh, We have a whole group of people waiting for us (laughs) for dinner downstairs as we're doing this. Um, You know, there's a lot of different people that, that are offering biohacking and they're offering sort of things. But if you resonate with a person, don't read, like I've read a shit ton of books. Don't just read a book, master a book. If you like what Dave Asprey is actually teaching, don't read a million books, don't join a bunch of different groups, don't listen to 50 different podcasts, it's obsessive. Go really deep and actually apply the stuff that you're learning. You're better off mastering one book that, that, that works and actually trying the stuff. Don't read this shit for entertainment. You know, like 12, when people say 12 step groups don't work, it's like I went to meetings and didn't work well. I say to people, it's, it's not an attendance group, it's a step group. You, you, you don't join a gym and sit on the bench and not lift the weights and say gyms don't work. So if someone's following your advice, they should actually apply your advice <laughs> and they should not get distracted by things that are gonna give you conflicting things and give it a shot. And if Dave's stuff doesn't work, then jump into something else. You know, but give it a real shot. And the thing is, is people just jump around. They go very shallow with everything. My advice is go deep. Go deep with people that matter. Mm -hmm. Go deep with advice that matters. It's your life. It's important. Go deep with it.
1: Joe, thanks for your work. And just thanks for being willing to be exceptionally vulnerable and just talk about all the stuff that you've been through. And and to just demonstrate you can be successful and, and happy No matter what you've been through and that people who are successful oftentimes have the same things. I think this is something that very few successful people talk about. We might talk about it over dinner when we know no one's listening and all that, but you're just out there in public and and still just full of of compassion and love and giving. It's very unusual and it takes a special kind of courage. So thank you for doing that act of service for people. And thanks for Genius Network. Like It's absolutely changed how I think about my business and, and what I do to serve people. And so a lot of times you talk about how that one, that one guy changed things for you when you were out jet skiing and, uh, you sitting down at the First Genius Network really just like, man, I, I thought I was thinking big, but really, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's another level and you helped me see it. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Where can people find out geniusnetwork.com? Anywhere you want to... You know, Joe Polish, my name, you can Google
2: me, but, you know, joepolish.com links to a bunch of stuff and things related to addiction. Uh, Go to Genius Recovery, and we're really building that out, and that's my whole goal and my mission right now is to really build that out. And, uh, yeah, and I mean... I hope people out themselves. In the past, people had to be anonymous because there was like a lot of judgment and a lot of persecution, but you cannot punish pain out of people and you're not going to punish pain out of yourself. And if you're fighting a silent battle, remember that you're as sick as your secrets and there are people out there that will help you and seek it out. Uh, and, and I hope that more people will come out and say, hey, yeah, I've been successful or my life's a train wreck, but I'm challenging you to these things because the world needs to have a more compassionate approach. And so and I really appreciate you giving me a, a platform to actually share this message and, and for also being who you are. So thanks. So. Yeah. And so I wish everyone that's listening to us the very best. And I hope uh, hope whatever we talked about is valuable to them and they they go do good work.
1: If you like today's episode, you know what to do go to geniusrecovery.com if it could be helpful for you or you know go listen to Joe's podcast uh, which is I love marketing. yeah, I love marketing.com 10 xtalkcom
2: with Dan Sullivan and genius uh, geniusnetwork.com is and they can find out all about that stuff
1: yeah. nice and, and if you don't do that just do something nice for yourself do something nice for someone else. it actually matters it makes you perform better as a human being too. Yeah, and I have a new book out, too, that's uh, coming out
2: by the time they listen to this. Called- oh, no kidding. All
1: right, let's talk about your book just real quick. Miracle Morning with Hal Elrod, who's also been on the show, but this is Miracle Morning for Addiction Recovery. Yeah, with Hal and Anna David and myself. And so that's our first uh, addiction recovery
2: book, and that'll just give you a whole process in the morning of how to uh, you can apply it to uh, if you're struggling with addiction or if you have a family member or friend is. So, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Thank you so much, Dave.